Hey everyone, welcome to the Root Cause Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Carrie Jones. And on this podcast, we go in depth with leading experts to understand and improve your health and well being. Today, we're talking with world renowned physician, Dr. Russell Jaffe, about heart health. Dr. Jaffe is an internal medicine physician, clinical pathologist, immunologist, and biochemist. He is the chairman and CEO of Perk Integrative Health and Eliza Act Biotechnologies. Here's a clip from today's conversation. When you go to your doctor who is programmed to look at things like cholesterol plus or minus 200, LDL plus or minus 100, HDL-LDL ratios, or things like that, and I'm telling you that's looking through a glass darkly, and you will never get to the cause because you're only dealing with consequences. And the critical issue, bulletin, bulletin, measure the oxidized cholesterol or the oxidized LDL, not antibodies against oxidized LDL, the actual oxidized LDL. This can be done. It is being done. It's being done in quality laboratories all over the world today as we speak. If you keep your cholesterol unoxidized, if you keep your oxidized cholesterol to zero, which I wanted because of antioxidants like ascorbate and beneficial minerals like magnesium, if you keep your oxidized cholesterol to zero and you keep your oxidized LDL therefore to zero, your risk of heart disease just went down to vanishingly small. This is just a small taste of the amazing show we have for you today. Today's episode is sponsored by Rupa Health. Rupa Health is the best place to order, track, and get results from 20-plus lab companies in one single place. Now, let's get started with the show. Dr. Jaffe, welcome so much to the show. Thanks for the invitation. I have a story to tell you. Today, we are talking about heart health, of course, and I'm going to get all the information about heart health, what you think about heart health and the chronic disease of heart health. But first, I want to set the stage before I introduce you because uh, we were at a conference a couple years ago. I was at a conference and I was representing a different lab and I was there with my account manager who was not in medicine and we were listening to you lecture. And so you did this lecture and you were getting off stage and my account manager looked at me wide-eyed and goes, wow, I like him. I learned so much. And I was like, I know he's one of the best. He's one of the good ones to listen to. So I'm just so grateful that you are here today on the podcast. So you pretty much have done everything. (laughs) We were talking before the show and obviously your bio is a mile long. I've listened to you lecture multiple times. I don't think there's anything you haven't accomplished, but for the listeners who don't know you, why don't you give us a little intro as to who you are and where you come from and why you do what you do? Yes, thank you. And thanks for that kind introduction. I grew up in a middle-class family in Albany, New York. That's the capital of the state of New York. I went to college at Boston University. I got three degrees on one day. That was a very good day for my mom and dad. I did internal medicine training under Norman Levinsky at University Hospital, part of the BU teaching system. Then I had the great good fortune to be selected as a public health service officer at the National Institutes of Health Clinical Center where every year that I was there, we introduced a new method that became the standard for, for example, occult blood testing for colon cancer screening, or higher sensitivity detection of parasites, or how collagen activated the blood clotting protein, how collagen activated blood platelets, and the implications of that for heart disease. 
And so one of the most important, and for me, the most exciting projects I worked on was with Don Fry and Bob Maley. And if you know the term lipoprotein, it was coined by Bob Maley. Don Fry is the man who introduced the idea that at places where blood vessels split, bifurcation of blood vessels, when blood pressure goes up, there's turbulence, and the turbulence tears the lining cells, the endothelial delicate lining cells, off the surface of the blood vessel at the bifurcation and accelerates what's called atherosclerosis or hardening of the arteries. And my contribution was to show that changes in platelet function or blood clotting changes, functional changes, predicted years to decades before heart attack and cardiovascular catastrophe, including strokes. Now, we did this work in two animal models, foxhound dogs and Yucatan pigs. Foxhound dogs, for a simple reason, dogs don't get hardening of the arteries, and if atherosclerosis happens, you did it to them, they didn't do it to themselves. And Yucatan pigs, because it turns out, and this is not a metaphor, this is a, just an anatomical statement, the cardiovascular system of a Yucatan pig and a human being are almost indistinguishable. Oh, wow. <laughs> so we were NIH, and this was that team, and I'm in the clinical center, but I'm collaborating with the Heart Institute. And we showed that changes in platelet reactivity, platelet sensitivity, platelet clumping in response to stress hormones like adrenaline or ADP, or exposure to collagen, which happens when those endothelial cells fall off the blood vessel, that those predict long before catastrophe things you can do to change your lifestyle, your hydration, the acid-alkaline balance of your diet the microbiome and how it influences your ability to repair or not. So much of what we now recommend is based on that work, plus now going on 40 years of experience. (laughs) And thanks for asking, because when we talk about heart disease, I would like to add one brief comment. And this I learned from President Dwight Eisenhower's doctor. His name was He was one of the pioneers of electrocardiography. And what he taught us was that in the 1930s, if at Mass General Hospital or Harvard, they had one patient with a heart attack, they would publish it because it was so rare. Wow. This is Paul Dudley White. This is the famous Paul Dudley White. Yeah. And 30 years later, one generation later, heart disease was the biggest cause of mortality. And he pointed out that cannot have much to do with genetics. That has to do with lifestyle changes, including smoking. And sitting is the new smoking. But smoking, in 1937, George Zer Williams, one of my mentors, published the definitive article showing that smoking caused lung cancer. And it was many decades later before the FDA began to clamp down on smoking. And while heart disease peaked in the early 70s and has slightly declined since, it's mostly declined in relation to people breathing better air. Really? Oh, really? No, no. It's like public health is the reason why people are living longer today. (laughs) No, it's true. Yeah, yeah. And they have to get into what is public and what is health. And how do you incent or incentivize healthier public health? Mm Mm-hmm. So let's actually take a step back because just as you said, health disease is it's the number one cause of death for men and women. But unfortunately, it doesn't get the press is something like cancer, right? You say it's C word and everyone everyone knows cancer. Everyone knows about cancer. People fear cancer. 
but not heart disease. Can you explain what is heart disease? Yes, what is heart disease? Heart disease means that your heart and the blood vessels connected to your heart are not repairing. And they are not repairing because of too much bad and too little good. Can you explain that further? With pleasure. There are five categories of anti-nutrients. Five. Just five, but five. Just five. The first are hormone-disrupting forever chemicals that did not exist before 1950. And today, I would suggest you avoid, like, shall I say, the plague. (laughs) The next category of anti-nutrients are solvent residues that are getting into the air and water and sometimes into your food. And much of it you can reduce or eliminate. Then there are toxic metals. Maybe you've heard of lead or mercury or nickel or cadmium or arsenic or other toxic metals, but they're another category. And then we get to mold products, especially in the super insulated, high energy efficiency homes of today. And then you get finally to radioisotopes, which we didn't used to need to much talk about, but between Chernobyl and Fukushima, between radon and related, it's another cause, another anti-nutrient burden of the 21st century. Now, if you look in the 19th and 20th century literature, you will not find these issues. If you want to find these issues, start with, forgive me for this little advertisement, but start with a report called Clean Your Room, the Department of Consumer Affairs, the state of California under the original Jerry Brown, a report that I did for Richard Spohn, and I am very grateful for the opportunity to have then presented and continue to advocate Mm -hmm. for 18 topics of the built environment and how to mitigate the problems, or better yet, prevent them, and if you have the problems, what to do about them. What are the solutions to indoor pollution? It's called sick building syndrome. And unfortunately, there are too many people who are suffering or afflicted by sick building syndrome. And I want them to have healthy air in a healthy environment, maybe with a healthy relationship and healthy food to go along with all of that, and then stay hydrated, which means you need to drink more water and probably less caffeinated beverages or artificially sweetened beverages. With the five anti-nutrients, I know this is going to sound like a basic question, but how common are they? How ubiquitous are they in our environment? Because they get talked about. No, no, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Because let's say this affected and afflicted a few people every here and there. This affects adversely the quality of the life of everyone living in a city is adversely affected by what we're talking about. You can't avoid it. You can mitigate it. Mm -hmm. You can reduce it, maybe by 80%. That's a big reduction. Do you have outdoor clothes and indoor clothes? Do you take your shoes off when you come in? What kind of air cleaner do you have inside from plants to objects, devices? What is the quality of your kitchenware? What is the quality of what you eat and drink, think and do? That determines 80% of the quality of your life. That's a big percent, 80%. And it may be higher than that. That's a minimum 80%. Affirmed by the National Center for Health Statistics, affirmed by NIH, affirmed by the National Science Foundation. This is not an opinion. I'm giving you the minimal benefit of following a healthy, choiceful lifestyle. So tying it back to heart disease, if somebody listening says, how will that make a difference with my heart disease? How does that make a difference with my... Well, let's start with what people fear. Ah. 
Heart disease is called the silent killer in relation to high blood pressure goes up. Mm. When? When? When your brain tells your kidney that it needs more blood supply, blood pressure goes up. When your brain tells your kidney that it's fine, your blood pressure goes down. So how do you increase your blood pressure? Well, you take too much sodium and too little potassium, you take too much calcium and too little magnesium, you take too much copper and too little zinc. And I could go on. <laughs> Let me just say that there are essential minerals, minerals that you have to take in from your diet. And if you take in the good ones, you get the benefit. And if you take in the processed ones, the convenient ones, the fast food ones, frankly, most restaurant-based ones. But I used to think that a Caesar salad was healthy. It's a salad. <laughs> it is a salad. Has the word salad in it. And it's got 1,000 to 1,200 calories, but it was a salad. Okay, so we have to wean ourselves away from the illusion that it might look like food, it might addict my taste buds, it might drive my brain with the crave factor for more, mm -hmm. but don't confuse that with food. Real food. When you take in real food, when you put real food in your tummy, you get satisfied. It's called satiety, but it is almost impossible when you eat real whole foods in a balanced amount and stay hydrated. Start every meal with something wet and warm. In between, make sure you're urinating every couple of hours, so keep drinking something liquid. These are uh, wisdom traditions that I went to debunk, and now I'm telling you they were always true. So what happens when somebody goes to the doctor? This is not what they get told. They go to the doctor, they get found with high blood pressure. No, 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 no. Thank you, doctor, for asking that question. Because when you go to your doctor who is programmed to look at things like cholesterol plus or minus 200, LDL plus or minus 100, HDL, LDL ratios, or things like that. And I'm telling you, that's looking through a glass darkly, and you will never get to the cause because you're only dealing with consequences. And the critical issue, bulletin, bulletin, measure the oxidized cholesterol or the oxidized LDL, not antibodies against oxidized LDL, the actual oxidized LDL. This can be done. It is being done. It's being done in quality laboratories all over the world today as we speak. If you keep your cholesterol unoxidized, if you keep your oxidized cholesterol to zero, which I wanted because of antioxidants like ascorbate and beneficial minerals like magnesium, if you keep your oxidized cholesterol to zero and you keep your oxidized LDL therefore to zero, your risk of heart disease just went down to vanishingly small. I mean, wow. undetectably vanishingly small from hugely big. And so, let me just reinforce that point, if I may. Mm -hmm. Half of the cardiovascular catastrophes happen to people with cholesterol below 200, and half happen to people with cholesterol above 200. Half of the catastrophes happen to people with LDLs above or below 100. Those are insightful numbers for population studies that have been misinterpreted to individuals, and I have a background that allows me to have that, not as an opinion, but as a conclusion. So what I want people to do is take in enough of the good antioxidants, buffering minerals, and essential cofactors. I want them to reduce their exposure to the anti-nutrients that afflict too many people. And then I want them to go back, as I am doing my best to go back, to a time when heart disease didn't really happen much at all. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There are a few other, there always are, a few other important issues. 
sometimes blood vessels begin to dissect because the collagen infrastructure hasn't been renewed. If you follow our Nature's Alpine Way program, your collagen will be renewed by billions and billions of beneficial cells surveying you every day. We want you to have renewed and youthful blood vessels, heart and lung at every age. We want your kidneys, spleen and liver to remove the bad and make it more water soluble and get it out of you through urine, sweat and stool. It's called physiology. But most doctors, most of my colleagues, most of the members of the American Heart Association of the American College of Cardiology, there is so much to learn about one prescription versus another and its benefits and risks and what population that that occupies their entire intellectual frame. Those who are certified by the PIH Academy, those of us who have made the transition and graduated to integrative, holistic, personalized primary prevention practice protocols. Root cause. We're, amen. Amen. It is the time. We're, when consumers are informed, doctors' behavior changes. And if you want to change doctors' behavior, change the consumer behavior. Amen. Amen. Education, right? That's what we're all about. If we can empower the patient, the consumer. Yes. If the consumer asks or desires or wants, the doctor will learn. Every time. And you've been practicing medicine a little bit longer than me, but I every time my patients come in. Only half a century, dear. <laughs> Only. With another half century to go. Dancing the whole time. At 120, I would like you and I'd like to invite all of our listeners to join me for a celebration at 120 where I too will be dancing. I love it. We'll be there. All of us will be there. I want to go back to the labs because, well, first, I want you to define what oxidized means, I think. Yes, yes. This is very important because very often, let's say you listen to this and you want to move forward and take advantage of it. And you go to your doctor and you say, doctor, have you measured oxidized cholesterol? And the doctor says, well, your cholesterol is 206. And you say, no, doctor, I didn't mean my total cholesterol. I wanted to know the small fraction that could kill me called oxidized cholesterol. Now, I advocate that you include the phrase, that could kill me, <laughs> because that normally gets people's attention. And it's true. A tiny fraction of damaged or oxidized cholesterol, and imagine this, and you can explain this to your doctor. Forgive me for saying it that way, but probably you would have to explain it to the doctor. It's like putting a hand grenade on the molecule. And then under stress, the pin is pulled, the oxidized cholesterol releases that damaged oxidized molecule. And not only is the membrane damaged of that specific cell, but there can be a catalytic process called apoptosis. If apoptosis is too hard, it's a Greek word, but apoptosis means programmed cell death. And I'm pretty sure that you do not want programmed cell death until you're dead. Till after 120. <laughs> at least, at least, at least have the idea that if you're not feeling well, you can get better and you're healing. Don't think about, I'm sick. The mind-body connection has always been there. We're rediscovering it every day. As you know, I came as a skeptic, but it's very important in terms of cardiovascular health. You could actually be perfect on a number of what I would call scores, but still have been programmed as a child to have a kind of inner, well, here's the Buddhist metaphor. I will offer this up as a a possibility. If you live in the moment and you rejoice in your portion, you will be happy. If you live in the past, you'll be depressed. If you live in the future, you'll be anxious. 
if you don't want to be depressed or anxious, live in the moment. <laughs> Become a Nowist. Not a Taoist, that's another option, but now. Eckhart Tolle, for example. Byron Katie, the work. Be here now. It's also a book by a friend. His name was Ram Das. That's true. Powerful words. And I don't think, I think everyone with heart disease is rushing around with what medication do I take, like you said, right? Well, we develop, we, the, the biomedical academic world that I come out of, we develop the notion of one bug, one drug, a specific mm -hmm. anti-bug therapy, antibiotic, anti-parasitic, anti-something, anti-anti. And then we extended that to what's called the magic bullet. You mean there's not one? The magic bullet was one of the great illusions of the 20th century. And I'm so glad you asked, because many people need that curtain pulled back. It's like the Wizard of Oz. If you don't pull the curtain back, you don't realize it's a little guy with a bunch of levers. And what that means is what has become a whole industry of packaged goods. And by that, I mean companies you might think of as food companies. Mm. These are companies that take nature's produce and process it to the point where most of the good is gone and too much of the bad has been added and it's legal. Then there are the people who do really bad things that are absolutely illegal. Uh, no, that's not. I'm talking about General Foods, General Mills, Kellogg's, Archer Daniels Midland, Unilever, Coke and Pepsi, Frito-Lay. These are not just names to me. Right. I have done my best to help them see a path to speed a transition back to whole foods. And the one who was actually most interested was Quaker Oats. It didn't quite happen, but it almost did. And it showed that it is very hard when your way of thinking about packaging is how long will it stay on the shelf before it molds versus how nutritious and delicious is it and how appetizing is it. And as we know from the recent past, the heart, lung, and cardiovascular catastrophes of COVID are related to low vitamin C acute scurvy, and metabolic cell acidosis, which is magnesium deficiency, both of which can be anticipated, identified, corrected, but only if you take action. If you wait for a magic bullet, I think that time has passed. In fact, adverse effects occupy a full one-third out of the $4 trillion that United States will spend on healthcare this year. One-third, over a trillion dollars, is to shorten the life, increase the suffering, and the cost of killing those people. That doesn't seem like a good value to me. No. I believe, along with Dan Berwick and others, in the quadruple aim, better health, better care, lower cost, and less stress. And by less stress on the whole system, I mean healthcare is a right, it's not a privilege. The rest of the world, other than America and a few other holdouts, the rest of the world has recognized that if you're a citizen, you have a right to healthcare. It should not be what the socioeconomic status of your zip code is. Which is my next question, the barriers that people face. Well, there are many, and thank you. Mm -hmm. And I will show you how to get around them, over them, or under them. The barriers are what I would call conventional perception. Consumers have a very important role in shaping their own health and the health of those they care about and the health of their community by being informed through this kind of conversation, and then going to a doctor who says, oh, I want to be proactive and predictive 
I want to know about you in a personalized primary prevention practice protocol way that is evidence-based, high-tech, high-touch, and uses nature's alkaline way. And you can quote me on that. (laughs) And I will, too. (laughs) (laughs) So let's dive into that. Let's make this actionable, practical, tactical, and available to everyone listening, no matter if you're paycheck to paycheck or have quite a bit of abundance, because I agree with you. I think having good health, however that looks, should be a right, a universal right. And we just don't have it. Not here. Not yet. Not yet. Consumers called voters can influence things over time. My impression is that younger and younger people recognize this as a need, as a right of citizenship. Mm -hmm. So while we're persevering on that front, I want to start with something you said that I think is very important, but it rarely gets much time. And this is people who are resource limited, but still want to do this. Yes. Okay. They're a big category too. We hear from them, you and I, every day. Absolutely. In our head and our hearts and our hands want to help them every day. Yeah. So let me tell you about something that started in Mexico, but it's catching on here in the United States. Two mornings a week. People come for breakfast that is made in common by the people of this micro community who buy in bulk, which is less expensive per serving. And if you do it correctly, and it's easy to do it this way, you can get coupons that are worth several dollars, several pesos, several something. That's an incentive for people to come because they A, get fed, B, they have a social interaction, and C, they get something they can go to the store and get something, whatever they choose. Having what I would consider to be an intentional community, my neighbors, and we're all going to eat certain things. And I would like you to eat more grasses than grains. In fact, we have lots of recipes that are free of all of the things that are problematic, but rich in taste, texture, nutritional value, microbiome enhancement, and economy. So. If you have the resources, I'll give you a different answer. But if you're in the community at large, Mm -hmm. think about joining with a few others so you can buy fresher and better organic or biodynamic, but in bulk, and then get together and celebrate. Celebrating includes the fact that mom doesn't have to cook every night. Which will reduce her stress. Mom here, by the way, mom here can be a generic term. It's not a gender term. Someone has to make food for the rest of the family. But what if you only cooked every third or fourth night and you could celebrate each other the other nights because of the economy of scale, because of the way in which this can be done? And it is It's surprisingly simple. It's a people-to-people approach, which is what I have found to be more effective than government-to-government, top-down. I never understood top-down. I still don't. I do think that, especially in the community that says, we know that we're afflicted. We know that we're burdened. Our water, our air, our soil, the quality of the food that we have available to us is mostly processed and packaged and crisped and this and that. And we know it addicts us to want to come back and just be a couch potato and watch some screen and not even get hydrated enough and gain weight and be unhappy and chronically ill and taking anywhere from six to 15 prescriptive medicines on a regular basis. 
And my dad at 90 was taking none. I can tell you that I'm his son, so I'm less than 90, but I'm taking none. And so somebody is taking more because those are averages. That's a travesty. And it's considered normal. It is normal. It is statistically, mathematically, it's normal. But normal doesn't have anything to do with healthy. And that's a very important point because I often hear on some of these very well-produced things, it's normal. They're talking to me as if I'm a statistician. And I know (laughs) I might be, but not most people are. Amen to that too. And I think a lot of people listening, a lot of people in the world are, they want to make changes. They just don't know where to start right? They're looking for resources. They don't know where to start. And they're struggling because they may go to their doctor, their healthcare practitioner and say, I'm on five medications. Is there any way I can get off of these? Is there anything I can do? And it's hard because they're not getting this kind of education. We kind of indicated this a few minutes ago. I do think that consumers can lead in speeding this transition by going to their doctors and saying, doctor, I want to do four self-assessment. I want to know my digestive transit time. I want to know my urine pH after rest. I want to know very simple things like my hydration status. Doctor, can you help me do that? And if the doctor says no, get another doctor because this is not hard to do. You start with four self-assessments. You move on to eight predictive biomarkers. You can get that through your doctor or through consumer portals. But those eight predictive biomarkers have to be interpreted to their best outcome goal value not to some statistical reference range, because no one listening to this conversation is a statistic. I'm pretty sure that there's almost no one and probably no one. All of the people who are listening to this conversation are not statistics, and I don't want to make you into a statistic, but I want to know how your value for hemoglobin A1c, HSC reactive protein, HSCRP, homocysteine in the plasma, LRA, lymphocyte response assay, vitamin D level, omega-3 index, Adoxoguanine, urine pH after rest. I want to know those eight predictive biomarkers, and now I can tell you what to do to make over your kitchen, your personal care, your professional approach to risk reduction. Much is a choice that people do not know about. Yes. We need to educate people to go to the doctors to ask for these kinds of functional, personalized, and primary prevention approaches. There are many programs now, including the PIH Academy that I helped organize through the Health Studies Collegium, that certify health professionals who want consumers, clients, people to come and ask for these proactive approaches, not reactive. If you're sick, I want you to be taken care of. But I really want to know the cause of why you got sick and prevent you from getting sick again. And if you needed treatment, What is the mitigation? What is the palliation? What is the response? For example, if you have antibiotics, you'll need prebiotics, probiotics, and symbiotics. You'll need fiber and good bugs and recycled glutamine for at least three to four months. And the average young college student today has had over a dozen antibiotic treatments. Oh, easily. 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 Oh, yeah. And my children who are in their 30s never, never needed or had such things. I'm sure someone had more. (laughs) Because average statistics. Yeah. I really appreciate how you empower people because I think there's also a lot of shame around going to your doctor and asking. Oh, yes. Because the power is often put into the doctor. You are my doctor. You should know best. Oh, yes. I was trained that way. Right. I was absolutely trained 
that I came in with a long white coat with a stethoscope around my neck and my body language said, I'm in charge. That was then, and I was wrong. And I'm glad to say I do not reject the wonderful basis on which I stand, but I graduated. And if you're not quite clear about what I just said, watch the movie called The Patient. Mm -hmm. It's um, Hurt, Bill Hurt, who's portraying a doctor who becomes the patient. And now the world changes. And that has had profound meaning for people like me. I'm glad to say that I helped found the American Holistic Medical Association with C. Norman Sheely and a number of other pioneers in 1978, 79. I came as a skeptic, but I now advocate for life, for nature's alkaline way, mm -hmm. and for choosing to do the things that reduce risk and improve outcomes for the whole community. Because as we choose healthier habits, everyone around us gets healthier. And as we choose less healthy habits, everyone around us gets less healthy. It's called virtuous cycles, which I encourage, and vicious cycles, which I don't. And too many people feel caught. And I don't mean to blame the victims. I really, really want to empower the people to see that they have options. Because little steps, little constructive steps, pay very big dividends. And so start with these health assessments, the four health assessments. Is your urine too acid in the morning? Is your digestive transit time too long? Are you a little bit dehydrated? Because even, even one, two, or three percent dehydrated puts a terrible stress on your kidneys, your liver, your spleen, your heart, your lungs, your brain, your mood, your sleep. I would like all of those to be optimized, not minimized. This is why my account manager, when after you spoke, said, wow, I like him. And I think all the listeners at the end are just going to go, wow, I like him too. You just really embody, you just really embody what you want for the community, what you want for health. You're an educator. And I just really appreciate that. I really appreciate that. My mom, who is no longer with us, <laughs> just whispered in my ear how happy she is that you said that. Because yes, especially because I had the good fortune I had early in my academic and professional career and came as a skeptic, but now an advocate. Mm -hmm. I think that encourages people to know that we as consumers can speed a transition from the current sick care system to a healthful caring system, in part by asking, in part by informing, by, in part by going to our health professionals who are eager to have those of us who want to be healthier not just those who want to be patched up because they're afflicted. It is a choice. 92% of lifetime health is a choice. 8% is genetic and transgenerational. That's a little complicated, the 8%. But the 92% is a choice. So I advocate for each of us within our circumstance. Rejoice in your portion, however large or small it is. Choose to dwell. And that includes having relationships that encourage, not discourage. Find a way to restorative sleep. You'll be surprised how helpful that is to see a challenge as an opportunity. So yes, nature's alkaline way has many threads woven into something called a healthy lifestyle. And if you look all over the world, I believe that you will find that what we weave into our nature's alkaline way perspective is the synthesis of all of that because I went out to find the healthiest people in each society, globally. When you have the platform of NIH under, under you, you can do things like that. And it astounded me. 
how much opportunity was being overlooked and how much harm was being done. And so I became a student of those who advocated for not just bending the curve, reframing the conversation. Tell me what you have done to promote my health and reduce the risk of any future problem, and I will be your loyal client. Tell me what you're doing to patch me up and send me back into the fray of chronic ill health, and I will tell you I'm a consumer. We deserve better. So while we're speeding the transition to healthcare as a right, not a privilege, we can reward those from the marketplace to the public discourse who advocate for what I would call a sane, healthy society, a civil society in which we are all getting healthier by choice and by incentive. Because I don't know this will surprise, but maybe it will surprise some people. There are many incentives today for staying unhealthy. We deserve better. And we choose better. We deserve better. But we have to be proactive. Sheep are generally, sheep and goats and cows and so forth are generally not proactive. Given that we are aware and therefore we choose what we take in and how we feel and what we do and how we function and whether we are willing to be proactive even in a minority. I come from so many minorities that if I was ever in the majority, it would actually surprise me. (laughs) But that's personal. Oh, Dr. Jaffe, I'm so glad you're in the arena fighting with us, fighting for us. I really have appreciated our conversation today. It's just been a complete honor to have you on the Root Cause Medicine podcast. And I just want to thank you for your time. And thank you on behalf of all the listeners, because we've really just talked about the most amazing everything as it relates to honestly, heart health and more and more. It applies to everything. Thanks so much. Because yes, health is mostly a choice. I'm glad to be a clarifying catalyst in that conversation. Hopefully we'll have other conversations about topics of mutual and similar interests. But thank you for being you. Wonderful. Well, thank you again. I can't wait to celebrate. Well, I was going to say your 120th birthday, but that's far away. So we'll celebrate sooner. (laughs) In the meantime, come to our permaculture biodynamic food forest and have some pizza. Sounds amazing. (laughs) But from the wood oven and and of course, grain-free, always uh, grass-based. Anyway, may all be well and happy. Thank you very much. The Root Cause Medicine podcast is brought to you by Rupa Health. To find out more about us, and how we are changing the lives of patients and practitioners across the U.S., head to rupahealth.com. And then make sure to search for Root Cause Medicine and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere good podcasts are found. Make sure to click that subscribe button so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Rupa Health, thanks for listening.